All right. So for people that for people that don't know you, who which are is, you? Which is probably a lot of people. Which is a lot of people. Yeah. So we've known each other. When did you move to Ramat? Um, well, I moved to Israel uh, in 2012. Oh, you're right. So I um, spent a little bit of time in America. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Right. But um, from 2012, I moved to remote three years after we after we moved to Israel, so 2015. Oh, so you were, you were already... Oh, 2012. Where, where were you in 2012? In Kata- You were living in Qatar. So, our, yeah, our, we moved straight to Bayat Vigan. Right. Um, Jerusalem. It's all Jerusalem. All right? Jerusalem. Yeah. We, we lived in, we started in Jerusalem, um, which was surprising to my wife and I. We're both, I'm from Philadelphia, right. uh, born, to, raised there till I was um, 15. And um, which is like most of your adolescence, you know, growing up into right. that. And then you, uh, you know, you hit in about 10th grade. That's when we moved. You're from Philly. I'm from Philly. My wife's from Ohio. Wow. I thought you were in New York all mm. the way. No, that I picked that up. You wow. know, from 16 to, I don't know, 16 to tw- 20. Right. That was when I was in the New York area. Right. But my wife um, is from Ohio. I'm from Philly. For those, you know, who don't know what that means, that means um, not big cities. So Philadelphia is a pretty big city. Well, suburb. Right. Uh, Ballackinwood, Lower Marion. Um, right. Did you go to the city a lot or not really? Not really. Right. Not that much. Rocky Balboa. Yeah, I've been there. Me too. But um, it's a funny thing. Yeah, when you live there, I think a lot of people probably went to the city on class trips and stuff like that. The Liberty Bell is there. Yeah, I, mean, I went there and visited. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it ever was. No, you yeah. don't usually. When you're there, you know. No, of course. It's um, it's a tourist thing. So we were kind of surprised that we moved to Jerusalem. Um, Yerushalayim was not necessary. I mean, it's on a lot of people's, you know, wish list of a place to live in theory and you know if you're if you're connected to that spiritual tradition but um we probably thought we would live somewhere quieter you know why, why, why remote is great because right. it's a little outside it's like why did you choose jerusalem with that in mind um right before we came to israel my wife and i spent um about a week and change um i was teaching high school before and um a lot of my students both um, boys and girls, two different schools I was teaching in, um, spent gap years in, in Israel. And um, I went to go visit them um, with the undercover assumption that we were probably going to move that summer. And um, we came and I visited a bunch of different schools. There's a, you know, probably 50 to 60 schools um, for, wow. you know, throughout the, not just in Jerusalem, throughout Israel, um, where people come to spend a year studying right. uh, in depth before they go to college, and um, just kind of put my name out there, you know, oh, you know, here visiting students, but might be here next year. If you have anything, let me know. And um, I got offers from the places I didn't visit. Oh, we heard you were, you know, we heard you were there. That's all. That's always the way it is. You put your, you know, that's so funny. Yeah, you put your, you put all of your effort into one area, and then Crazy. it just comes out of left field. Um, all my jobs have been like that. All of my uh, yeah, everything, I've, pretty much anything I've ever done professionally has all been kind of just like... Basically not what you're looking for, in the or the place you're not looking for it. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I've ever handed in a resume. Wow. Because of that, because it, it always just comes out of nowhere. My first job, I was, I was still, um, I was in graduate school, and I was studying to become a rabbi. Um, 
and there was this opportunity to go learn on campus in a different in a school and i missed the whole presentation and you know process and i i came over after i was like i missed the whole you know the whole thing i was busy helping one of my teachers with something and um the person who came to interview people for this position in like a studying role not really a teaching role we ended up speaking for like an hour and he's like why don't you come give a model lesson we'd actually wow. and i was like so i you know i ended up speaking to a bunch of people who i asked for advice and friends and a lot of soul searching and decided to actually abandon uh, finishing graduate school um ended up getting rabbinic ordination a different channel because um i just started teaching and it's been wonderful and really every job that i've had has kind of been that kind of story and and that happened here then when so you're in you're running around israel running around israel teaching i was teaching high school this is what 2011 this is 2011 around november time like i think we came um thanksgiving um i don't know when that is i'm from england i know (laughs) saying that's like a point of contention right um uh, we don't have that by the way why is that something to do with the british i'm known it's it's terrible that i don't know well thanksgiving is when America, you know, beat the Brits. No, no, no. Oh, it's, it's when they when America was discovered and okay, and with the Indians and it's a whole, you know, now nowadays is a whole rewriting. That of was the, the pure. That was the Puritans. That so, was yeah. sixteen something. There's a whole rewriting, you know, what, oh, yeah. what actually happened. Hmm. Um, founding of America. It's a it's a messy subject right now. Oh right, I didn't know that. Yeah, because well, isn't it what it always was? Yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, like everything now. Things it's, are trying to be rewritten to make it work. Well, yeah, people are trying to figure out what's what's going on. I think it'll it'll end up in a good place. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, I know it will. Everything will. Right. Um, but yeah, things go through these um, death and rebirth kind of um, scenarios, where you there's a whether it's psychological or you know um, jobs people have whatever area of life you know all of a sudden you find that there's this crack in the foundation of it and a lot of times um something new grows like a flower will grow out of that you know so i hope that's what will happen right um in america and, and really in the world the world right now is definitely anyway so we're, we're we're um we're in jerusalem i ended up getting an offer to teach either in beit shemesh um which is about 30 minutes out from jerusalem or to teach in in jerusalem and um, we decided that people probably wouldn't visit us in Beit Shemesh if we lived there. And, you know, we were making quite a leap. Um, never had any family, don't really have any family in Israel. Um, my wife doesn't either. Either You know, she has some cousins, um, but, you know, no immediate family. So it was important to be in a place where... You knew people. Um, yeah, and where people would go, you know. Right. Um, Beit Shemesh is a, is a popular place to live, but tourists, mm. you know, if... Um, you know, if, if you have friends who are coming in, um, they're probably going to stay in a hotel in Jerusalem. Not, right. There's not really hotels in Beit Shemesh. And unless you have family there, you're probably not going to go there. Anyway, that's that's how we ended up here. Right. Uh, and I taught in a school there. Then out of the blue, got called. I was teaching part-time there because that's what you got to do when you move to a new country. Um, you find a place to get in and, and, start. And, and hope that you're good enough that you'll attract some attention. Um, and that's what happened. So um, a school in the old city of Jerusalem, which is... I mean, what if you would have told me uh, that I'd be teaching in the old city in Jerusalem, um, right? Two-minute walk from the Temple Mount. I, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Um, but I got this call, 
um, from uh, now a colleague and a, and a dear friend uh, inviting me to come give a model lesson also to try it out. That was Rabbi David Aaron. That was Rabbi David Silverstein, oh, who um, yeah. is very intimately involved in the hiring of Rabbi David Aaron's uh, yeshiva. Amazing. Um, amazing faculty, amazing staff. Yeah, it's just amazing, the whole thing. The whole thing. Is, mm-hmm. um, what a treat to be able to teach in that space, but also those people. And um, I'm quite surprised to hear, because I know you so well, I'm quite surprised to hear that you you say, I would never have thought I would have ended up teaching the old city, whereas never. I thought... Well, that's exactly where, knowing you, you would think you would want to be. I, but but you're saying you weren't aiming for that. It, I, I would have and, thought. And yet it found you. Yeah, I would have thought. Um, well, I'll give you an example. I, I myself, when I was 18, I also studied um, in Israel for a year and a half. Um, and I did not study in Jerusalem. I specifically decided to go further out so that I wouldn't, you know, quiet, focused, um, I'm kind of like that. Where were you in? Uh, I was in Beit Shemesh, actually. That's right. In, yeah. uh, what's that? Rashid. Yeah, yeah, I know where that is. Also yeah. an amazing place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I needed that quiet and wasn't really looking for an adventure as much as uh, a place to sit and think and work things out. Um, kind of figure out questions that had been tugging at me and trying to figure out what, at 18, what an amazing, you know, leave your home, leave your family and you had questions even then um i don't know that i had yeah well of course i had questions yeah sure um i don't know that they were um you say of course because not all 18 year olds do well every you do so even with me my you know i didn't have questions from a place of disappointment i just had a you know i was just living till i was 18 um and you're about to kind of start for real and yeah, of course you have questions. It's like even the question of like, do I go that way or that way? Oh, I see. You know, it, until you've thought it out and you really had, um, which is why it's such an amazing opportunity, you know, right before you enter college. I kind of thought I knew what I wanted to study. You know, I know I, know I like people. I, I thought um, I might go into psychology or that's what I started majoring in. Um, tell you about that later maybe. Right. Switched out of that. Um, but I had a, a kind of like feel for what I liked, but to be able to kind of work through, um, who I was and what I wanted, um, what, a, I mean, what, a, what a blessing to be able to do that. At 18 in Israel, your family, how religious, although that's a horrible way to describe people and a family. Word, no, don't use the R word. It's not, it's not the right what 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 were they like? Let's just say it like that. What were your what was it like Jewishly growing up? For me, it was like traditional and respect and Judaism. We are Jewish, but it wasn't keep the mitzvah. It wasn't that. I was yeah. secular, if you want to call it that. But what what were you? Because I I don't have being that I'm from that background, I really don't have much of an idea of a modern Orthodox type um, upbringing. It, it like many religious people don't know what a balchuva, yeah. which is uh, for those who don't understand, balchuva means people who have come back to religion later on in life or at some point in their life, not come back to it actually become religious. Sure. So I'm like I, I I didn't really have any idea what a modern Orthodox or a religious home is, but I've now I've become religious. I, I see a lot of these people, what grew up 
called calling themselves modern orthodox and then they changed when they became big boys and big girls yeah um, either more modern or sure. more religious if sure. you, for want of a better word yeah so which where do you fit in all of that um i don't ever remember my parents um which i'm so grateful for um i don't ever my parents uh remember my parents saying you know we're modern orthodox that's like uh the box that we fit into um I also grew up in a in a town that, you know, the, I don't know that there is modern Orthodox. You know, I grew up um, the son of Doctor and Mrs. Jerry and Fran Weinberg. You know, um, and that's what I knew. And of course, I had friends. Um, but there was there was Shabbat in your house. There was Shabbat in my house. Yeah. And, you, and your dad went to Beit Knesset. He went yeah. to Shul. Sure. So um, I guess to go straight into that, because to speak to you know something like what modern orthodox is that yeah. yeah it's a big subject yeah um yeah we, we we grew up keeping torah and mitzvos um i remember a marked shift in my father's um study um an interest in study when i was probably in eighth grade or so how old is that uh that is uh 13 14 mm-hmm. um and i can clearly remember um it could be that you know, memory is becoming sharper at that age also. It's like a coming of age for sure. That's when, uh, but I definitely have a clearer memory of my father um, being with books more. Uh, he's quite a smart man, but um, s- specifically with, with Jewish books. Um, and actually, it's an interesting story. My father um, my father had himself, he, he went to BTA, which is kind of like a, uh, a, high, a Jewish high school definitely had a, a Jewish studies curriculum, a uh, dual studies curriculum. And, um, you know, it was usually like old European rabbis who couldn't really relate to these young Americans. My father was born in America. Right. Um, his parents came to America before the war from Germany. And uh, my mother's parents also, or her father came from Poland at a really young age. And her mother was born here, uh, was born there, was right. born in, in America. Um, to all miss the Holocaust. Yeah. Like my family. It's a whole thing. My family too. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I feel, well, obviously you feel lucky, but but also I feel strange because it's like, how did how did we, I wouldn't say it's like survivor's guilt. It's not. It's nowhere near. But it's like, wow, dodge that bullet. Yeah. And, and but yet I see all these families with all these, uh, grandparents and great grandparents and all these stories, sure. and I'm an outsider to all those stories. Yeah. So I just observe it. But these, a lot of our uh, contemporaries, they lived a, a childhood growing up with survivors. I, I don't know what that would be like. Yeah, I feel like so I totally missed that. Yeah, there's a sense. I don't know if it's guilt, but there's a sense of being an outsider, which is a funny thing because it's not something you want to be part of. No, that exactly. is very you ironic. Know? Yeah, you're right. Um, but you do feel like. You're, you missed something. Mm-hmm. Not that you wanted to hit it, but that, you know, there's a certain... And you, you live in it also, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it could have been. Dodging a bullet is also a traumatic event, you know. Right. And it wasn't on purpose, I don't think. I don't think my, my family came to America. I think they came, like, before. Mine too. Shortly, exactly. b- shortly before, but before. Right. Anyway, so he went to... Um, PTA. A modern Orthodox, probably, um, school, which meant that the boys were growing up in America, you know, um, and probably were more interested in uh, baseball and other sports than, um, than, than learning. 
and they had these old European rabbis who did not know what to do with these boys. So that's that's how we grew up. Uh, my parents um, married, kept Shabbos, kosher, um, holidays. Um, but um, really, when I when I was in eighth grade, I don't know the exact timeline of when when this happened. My father found himself in a in a big knesset in a shul um, at some point, and um, at least the lore goes, the legend goes that he he found a, a book on the shelf, pulled it out, and opened it up. And now I know that that book is, is a book um, called B'nai Yisachar. That book is, um, it goes through the calendar, the Jewish calendar, and kind of um, speaks about the, what what's the um, character of a particular Jewish month. And my father was like, never taught me this in high school what is this wow you know like all i remember is studying talmud or um and so accidentally my father um he, you know he could read hebrew so he he read through a little bit of the book and was like um and he stumbled uh, on some other uh stream within judaism and in a short time he sought out a few teachers locally um by Shalom Kamenetsky, who was one of his early teachers uh, in the Philadelphia Yeshiva, and they learned um, B'nai Saskar together, that book that he had found, and Nefesh Chaim. And um, through that, my father all of a sudden became enamored again with, um, with, all, with all of it. Wow. Meaning it was like he like snuck in through a back door. and um, Standing by a bookshelf. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he, you know, he was constantly walking around with a, with a Talmud or um, not, not in a, you know, in, in a, a really healthy way. Right. Reinvigorated. Yeah, totally. Um, Had he ever been passionate about? Never. So really it was, it was things that his mind was loaded up with and like uh, on the desktop. Yeah. But this was like the launch sure. of your dad's Jewish, can, real Jewish life. Yeah, I'd say that happens probably to a lot of people who spend a year in Israel, like in the yeshiva that I teach in, that you're kind of like loaded up with all this software, but you never bother to open it because it's like, it's not relevant. Right. And then you have this experiential type of thing and you're like, you know. You access all these files now or you access all these Or you don't, apps. Or, or not. Or you decide like, you know, I mean, that's a really healthy thing also about, about our yeshiva is um, it's not a um, naknikiot factory. You know, you're not like making uh, sausages like one, right. one at a time. They all look the same. It's like it's a real journey to yourself, and um, it's the best way. Oh, it's great, um, and it's so it's for me also. I get to every year. I get to kind of like reimagine myself through their questions and through their amazing. Um, yeah, so that's that's where I came from. That's very adult. What's that? That, that approach. I know it sounds obvious, but but having been through various systems and or. Uh, organizations so to speak and you see the pitfalls and the shortcomings of some you just want to be treated as an adult because yeah. you are on a journey and no one and you the, the whole the idea of make someone religious is or fr is ridiculous right i, I mean i don't even know what that is yeah that's it's not it's not it's not respectful to the other person yeah it's also not a sound and light show uh, by us it's not like um look at this you know right um it's it's a real slow process um, rigorous, you know, there's like a lot of text, a lot of study, a lot of thinking, a lot of talking. Um, and, um, do most of the boys stay once they 
do they does anyone run a mile after a while and just be like this is not for me or do they stay and they see it out well there's so much um there it's such a rich program that you know it's seldom that someone will not be happy in the program you know what happens after the program um is quite varied some people will stay i mean there's always a handful of people which is somewhat unusual that'll decide they want to stay in israel forever right that's few and far between i don't think that's a lot um but it happens. And there's some who say, well, I want to stay for a little bit more. And um, most go back to university and um, build a life in America or build a life in America. Or um, like I myself, when I came, I, you know, I knew I wanted to return at some point. I it just fell in love with the land. That's a separate thing that wasn't due to study. That was, um, and uh, m- my wife and I went on our first date. I was like, you know, if this works out, like, you know, I mean, it's only probably going to work out if, if you want to live in Israel because that's like, which is like, that's, you know. It's a big thing to say yeah, in the first yeah, date. First date, yeah. Um, it definitely came up in my dating when, when with Rochelle and I knew I wanted to be here. But because you know me, it's like, and I said in a in the previous podcast, it's like, okay, keeping this now, so I've got to go to the land. Right. <laughs> yeah. I but mean, everyone's different, you We know? suffer from this cognitive dissonance, um, you know, I'm not a, I don't even know what the right term is. Uh, I'm a lover of Zion, you know. Right. But it would probably take more than two hours, um, which is, I mean, it's awesome to speak to you like this. Right. Do we ever get to do this? Very rarely. Hence um, one of the reasons why I'm doing it yeah. at all. Um, but, it, you know, it would take a while to explain the nuance of the land of how I, f- yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you know, there, there are books and books. And what I try to do is, you know, it's a funny thing in my house, on my bookshelf, I have um, the entire set of Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKohen Cook, the right. first chief rabbi of Israel, who was uh, arguably the, the thought leader, you know, at least in, in a certain level of um, of the religious Zionist movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and right on, which, you know, it takes about half a shelf. It's like this many, you know, it's a solid um, 15, 20 books. And then right next to it is um, the Satmar Rebbe's you know, entire <laughs> collection. And they're right next to each other. And the Satmar Rebbe, of course, was like the... For those that don't know, they were, he was a vehement yeah. opposer to the creation of the state of Israel. So I, I didn't do it in any disres- you know, disrespectful way. It's more like That's symbolic of the synthesis that I'm trying to create. By So it would take a while to, to go through exactly um, how to resolve that. Um, right. But, yeah, I knew I knew I wanted to be here. Um, practically, and um, it's in, you know, you can't really go through any Jewish liturgy, whether it's uh, prayer, if you pray three times a day, or, um, you know, the blessings after after meals. It's just everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, so it was like, well, you know, could, yeah, I don't even want to talk too much about it. Because it's too big. Well, no, because um, because I, I get that it's, it's also, it's not like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm this, look how I'm great that. I am, I, I did this. It's, mm-hmm. it's more like I'm kind of in awe of the privilege of it too much to right. to make it out to be like I'm a superhero for doing it. That's beautiful. I understand what you mean. You know? Um, it's not an ordinary place. We can we, we say it's not an ordinary place for us as Jews. And there's a, there's a lot of connection between us and the land. And, yeah. and it deserves a lot of conversation. Yeah. I have a really dear... Um, friend student most of my students eventually become my friends you know especially if we every year there's like 
three, four, five who become lifelong friends. Um, so I have a, a, a friend who has a, an art studio, a, a photography studio right around the corner. Yeah, I saw yeah. Uh, pictures of, of, Beautiful. of Israel. Yeah. You know, and I told him that after he finishes this first round of, of photography, I want to go around with him and take pictures of um, all the places where Judaism is like poking out of the land. You'll, you'll see these funny things, not just, I mean, there's the classic things like, you know, when it's about to be a Jewish holiday, it's like on the buses, it'll say, you know, Chag Sameach or right. things like that. But you walk into a restaurant and there's like some verse from the Bible on the, you know, yeah. on or the so, wall. Or some sage. Yeah, or just or just like a park bench where there's like... Right, yeah. Subtle, know, small. These, yeah. Everywhere. Well, because the land and the people and the and the Bible and... All connected. You know, the Torah, so it's all... It all happens, you know, in this synergy. They come together and... It just feels uh, feels feels like you're in the right place. Yeah, I'm a musician. So like you know these like big festival concerts where you have like the main stage and there's like the side stage. So without talking about ourselves, like it feels like this is the main stage, right? And we're so lucky to be here. Uh, oh my, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So your dad, the book. So that took that had an impact on your family. No, actually, um, n- certainly not immediately. Um, no, it didn't. It didn't immediately transform my family in any way. Well, again, practically speaking, uh, nothing changed in terms of our day to day life. It was just my father was passionate about studying. You know, he was still um, coaching whatever sports teams we were on. And you know, it's not like he went off and like became a, you know, I don't know, born again Jew. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> run, you know, it wasn't like. And I think that that speaks to something really healthy about our, our tradition is like, um, and healthy about your dad and super healthy about my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we just kind of kept on doing what we were doing. Um, did conversations change though? Nope. Totally not. Wow. I mean, you know, he would, he occasionally he'd bring up things that he was studying and, um, but no, I actually had, running for for quite some time i don't know the exact you know it all blurs together when you get as, as you get older but shabbos mornings you know um I, my father didn't work and um we used to study the encyclopedia britannica in the morning that was what we studied together amazing so i always you know we, we'd come down and um downstairs and and pick a volume off the shelf at at our leisure whatever whatever we were interested in and we would just open up and we would study and so um, How many brothers, sisters you got? I have two brothers. No sisters? No sisters. All rabbis. But not regular rabbis. That's for sure. Um, all rabbis. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing. And there's three of us, so when two of us do something, like it pulls the third along. Right. You know, we're very, very close. So I always joke that as soon as my younger brother, who's, you know, hoping to come to Israel um, whenever he can, um, when he comes, the third one's toast. Right. <laughs> um, no chance. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, one will get into something and start to share it as brothers do. I mean, growing up. So, I mean, all of us play guitar. All of us are musicians. All of us are rabbis. Uh, all of us are bearded. Um, we get confused a lot for each other. Uh, well, I've met one of them and it's a double, it's a yeah, double take. Yeah, like, it's a double take. I thought you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. Oh no, it's not you. Yeah, 
So, so okay. So then, without going too much into every detail, well, it's a funny thing, right? Because hold on a second, let's let's take a step back. Like my father, my father's an ophthalmologist, right? He's an eye doctor. Um, my mother um, helped with you know maintaining some of the files. My father's like, you know, I mean, his car is like his office. There's like everything is everywhere. Wow, you know. Um, and his, his major, you know, one of his dictums is like, it's not, it's not lost. It's just, it's misplaced. It's in here somewhere. You know? like, <laughs> it's in my car. It's, it's there somewhere. And it is, you know, that's hilarious. He is. It's something else. Is he a bit of a mad professor, your dad? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But sweet as the, you know, like, yeah, well, he I, loves, I know your dad. Yes. You know, he's, so he's an, see, he's an ophthalmologist and he's a, um, he loves gardening and he loves birds. And he just loved, you know, he, and I think he, and this, you know, this encyclopedia thing, and like he just taught us to be curious and open to, 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 you know, to really be um, philosophers in like the, in the actual definitional, you know, like lovers of wisdom. Right. Not, not like. Wherever it can be found. Not deep thinkers, but just like appreciate, like, lo- not, not. Stuff. S- There's a lot out there. Not smarty pants. Understand. Like lovers of wisdom. And to just love people who, who are experts in things right? And, and like, you know, and, and to, and to learn from everything and everyone. And so it's a, you know, so he's an ophthalmologist and he has three rabbi sons and, um, and it's, it was just his love of learning. And my mother also, my mother loves reading. Um, and like I said, kind of my, if my father is the, the mad professor, which he's not, but he is, yeah. um, my mother is very, you know, organized and kind of reins them in so they're a great pair like that Excellent. um and essentially was was at home with us and um and so you know a lot of love and just healthy curiosity um it was only a ma- and, and passion for for study um it was a, it was a recipe for good things for for, for discovery for the children for discovery yeah for for yeah and how it ended up that uh, it ended up being Torah. I mean, it's a, Torah is pretty attractive. There's a lot in there. It, it, it has a, it has a, a bit of everything. It is, but it, the curiosity about life and and what goes on doesn't equal become a rabbi by any stretch. For sure not. But it did to you. Um, so what, the question, I was afforded the opportunity to study it, and I was like, right. oh well, this is compatible with a lot of different things. In other words, like my love of what makes people tick and psychology, which I've maintained and read a lot. Um, you were interested in people. People, yeah. Um, systems, how things work, you know. Um, so I was able to, to see that that's not inconsistent with, I mean, when I came and studied in Israel and then continued after that for quite a few years, always dual curriculum, you know, always, well, except for that one year when I was studying in Israel, um, no tests, just kind of like mm. uh, a lot of study and thinking and talking with people my age about that um, experience of kind of like, well, what are we going to do next? Like what, which is, I mean, to have that opportunity afforded that opportunity is, is crazy. Um, so, you know, we, we, we did that. And then having this, um, exposure to the Torah, it's like, you know, I was there and the, what I was studying was talking about everything. 
anything you can imagine. I mean, anything and everything. It's all, there's what, I mean, there, it's part of this massive tradition that talks about everything from, and some people see it as oppressive, you know? It's like, talks about how to tie your shoes and like what, how to go to the bathroom. Right. And there's like an opinion about it, you know? It's like, wait, what? Um, but for me, I guess because I was living it in a certain sense, it didn't feel like um, something was coming down strong on me. It was like I was kind of living this system anyway, but not passionately. Um, and it struck me how um, all-inclusive it was. It, it, it's almost like the polar opposite, you know? Like I felt like I could think about, talk about, and reflect on anything through the system because the system talks about it. Right. It's funny, you say the word oppressive. I understand why. Judaism or, or keeping the Torah and the mitzvot and the, and the laws, the halachot, to put it simply, will feel oppressive if you think Hashem is oppressive. Like, it's to me, everything is relative to where it's coming from. I don't think Hashem is oppressive. I never have. I don't plan on it. And so therefore, I think, because I, I spend a lot of time in my mind thinking, this thing that I think is so unbelievably beautiful, I decided to change my life to keep and to effectively run my life. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have chosen, I wouldn't, well, I could have done, but if I was a different person, but I didn't, I, I, di I wouldn't have chosen something oppressive. It's a mad, it's a crazy thing to do. Sure. There must, it must have, but the, but the, the, the general, a lot of feeling out there is that, is that Judaism is extremely constrictive and oppressive and, and, uh, and, and, and removes a person's freedom, is chauvinistic, all these different things. But I think people have got a wrong in, impression of, of God, of Hashem. God, maybe we'll go on, well, hopefully if we have time, we'll go on to that in a second. And really everything then comes from that because it all falls under his umbrella. But if you don't think that and you just are, you know, we said, like we said, the first line of the Shema, that even the most irreligious people know is the big one, the Shema. Yeah. You know, it starts off by saying, you know, you shall love this, this, this being, this, this all, all powerful being. So there's love involved. In so what, why would I love someone if they were oppressive? I wouldn't love a human being if they were oppressing me. For sure, I mean there are there. Well, all right. There are people who who are stuck in those types of relationships, and they, I understand. But it, it, that's a dysfunctional, well, right? Well, there's there's also people who practice the behaviors of whatever religion they're practicing and right. are stuck in this. Meaning, it's not like true, right? So it's not like there's um, this sense of being. I'd say there's four categories. There's like I'm in it and I feel oppressed. I'm in it and I'm loving it. Right. Um, I'm not in it and I feel oppressed <laughs> and I'm meaning, right. Cause it's right. like, or I'm not in it and I'm loving not being in it. So, you know, they're all on the table. They're all on the table. And I think that's part of, um, what makes it so special to choose it. And especially if you, if you, if you find a love for it. Right. Um, it's challenging. It always has been challenging. I mean, hello from having a, a life where there were no rules apart from the laws sure. of England. Yeah to saying, you know, invisible God makes up the rules now. Yeah. But of course, but it isn't, but it isn't that. And, 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 and that's why I'm fascinated by people that I, I like to know why people don't want to get involved. 
understand why people are involved. I'm around a lot of that nowadays. Obviously, that's my life now more than ever. But I'm also I'm fascinated why people don't want to get involved. That to me is an interesting conversation. And um, like I heard from Rabbi David Aaron just last Sunday, he gave this amazing uh, Zoom class and I'm, I'm, I've touched base with him since. You know, and he was saying like what you, you know, the impression that you have of this creator mm -hmm. is basically going to determine it, everything. Right. If you're in it, you're not going to enjoy it. If you're in it and you enjoy it, like you said, you're going to really love it. Yeah. And and I'm, I feel blessed that I'm, I love it. Well, let me ask you a question about... Um you, you said, um, I know you're a, you're a proper, you know, Englishman. You know, you have warm feelings for, for England. And that's... Cause of it. Yeah. Well, you said before that, before you were bound to the laws, you know, of England. Right. There were certain things that you could and couldn't do. Yeah. Um, stands to reason that you grew up in that, you know, on a certain level. So it's always going to be different. You know, if you grow up in something and you're used to it, it doesn't... And that could be a problem, too, because people could not choose it, right? It could be like you just, and that's one of the categories that we spoke about. Like, you didn't really choose it. It's kind of oppressive, but you just grew up like this. You didn't really think about it. Right. But, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but how, what, do you, what do you feel about England and the laws there and the culture there? and Generally. Yeah. How do you feel about it? I mean, living in a country is oppressive also. Like, there are rules. There are, but... And I'm just going to, like, jump in here because, like, but, uh, you know, there's also a culture, you know, and there's so many other pieces to it. It's not like England is about rules. I mean, there are rules. That keep the society together. That keep it together, but it... It's not the totality of the place. Well, there's the culture. There's the, you know, the, the family vibe of, of having a landsman. Right. Um, and there's all these things that, so... It depends where you're kind of swimming. I, I guess you're right. And also, if you're not taking, if you, if you take it for granted and you're not really thinking about it and you, again, you're lucky enough to be born into a, number one, decent family uh, who work hard. That was a big deal for me. I've said it before. You're yeah. strong, uh, powerful work ethic throughout my entire family from every member of my family I can think of. It's just all been strong work ethic. We get on with it. We work hard. We do what we can do and we spend money. Don't go mad. Don't yeah. be over the top flash, like throwing it around. Just be a decent human being with it. So I guess if you put all those, went to good schools, good at sports, you know, just a lot of blessing there. And so you, so, 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 so like, yeah, I was, all, I was all right with, I took it for granted that there were rules, but that's not why I chose Judaism. I chose I chose Judaism because after all of that being said, with all the positive things that were in my life, I lacked meaning with all of it. Because one thing England doesn't provide you, there's no meaning. Sure. There's no there's no meaning if you are seeking deeper meaning. You know, to 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 be um, participating in all these activities and to be going to this nightclub. That nightclub meeting, this, but you're, you're just you're just on a you're just on an autopilot of whatever is being provided you and what your peers are doing. Okay, so this way, this time we're going to go to holiday here. So it's all like it's really the world choosing you, not you choosing the world. Yeah. And so, and I just found myself confused, really confused, a completely different background to yours. You know, my dad wasn't that. 
My dad's not that at all. He's a working class, middle class, but working class man. Lovely guy, my dad. And um, parents, all, yeah, my family all the same. No books, no studying. TV and like, you know, football, cricket and all the stuff that a good English boy would be. Sure. But I, I just, I was inside a bothered human being. Mm-hmm. And I needed answers badly. And uh, and that's what led me to, you know, well, certain things. And then, you know, Rabbi uh, Yeshua Gerzi, who, who I hope, number one, hopefully going to be, he's going to be coming in soon for the uh, for the review of life so far since he met me. Sure. Um, we have a mic for him right there. We, we can have do a, a... Yeah, three-way, uh, three definitely. Um, but I guess I was just looking for meaning. And that's why I'm always fascinated by people like yourself, where I think you had meaning. Mm-hmm. But I think you were trying to deepen the meaning or maybe not. I don't know. Or just discovering along the way. When you put it like that, it's, I, f- I feel like I met Hashem before I knew about the laws. I was, I was living the laws on a certain level, right? Like if I would um, speak to my five-year-old or my eight-year-old and um, ask them to kind of like talk about, well, what are the laws that we follow in our family? I'm not sure that, right? But if if I would say something to them about about their relationship with with Hashem, um, which is a totally different thing than God, as you were kind of like, yeah. Um, so yeah, they, I mean, they know they know who Hashem is, right? They they not in a in an odd way they talk to Hashem, you know. You know, I've caught my five year old on a number of occasions. Like he's like, can't find his shoes. Like Hashem, please help me find my shoes. Excellent. You know? <laughs> And um, he said something along those lines when he was at a house last week playing yeah. with my son. Something similar, I can't remember exactly, but f- out of his mouth came some deep reflection connected with Hashem and his relationship with Hashem. Yeah. Even if it was, it, even if you could say, oh, yeah, but it's just a five year old playing out what he sees Abba and Ima do. But and <laughs> it is. It, it is. Yeah. But it's also, it's also something that's. It's, it's a relationship, though. It's a relationship. It's still a relationship. Yeah. Um, and um, and the laws, you know, and and I don't know, I don't know where we fall out on the on the line of parenting in terms of letting our kids kind of do whatever they want to do and right. and giving them direction. Um, we're probably different, my wife and I, also in that, like probably in most families. Yeah. Um, you know, we we guide them, we try to direct them. Um, so they're aware that there are things that are you know expected of them, which is a funny thing, right? Because like they didn't choose it. Right. Um, and um, but relationship, they're they, they're choosing because you can't force someone to have a relationship, right? Um, and it seems to be healthy. And so, kind of speaking back to what you were saying before, mm-hmm. if you have a healthy and happy relationship with Hashem, then the mitzvos become etzos. They become um, advice. They become well. Here are uh, trusted advice as well. Yeah, it was, here are um, kind of like bullet points along your day where you can kind of like come back to that relationship. Yeah. He's always, he's always around to, to you. I feel like he's always got his arm around my shoulder. You're very lucky. But, but again, I, I can't see it in any other way. Otherwise I wouldn't do it. And that's why, yes, it's for sure. I'm fascinated by why people choose to be an atheist and they ridicule religion and it's all over YouTube. And it's one of the main reasons 
motivating reasons why I've started this podcast and I'm fascinated by it and all that stuff. But still at the same time, even if I go into a whole big three, four hour conversation about, you know, atheism versus God, does God exist? The begin me, myself, I'm just going to be like, okay, after all is said and done, this is how I feel. I feel like Hashem is holding me all the time, holding the whole world. He's, he's, he's a father to everyone. And it's not a religion, what we do. And that doesn't apply just to Jews. That applies to every human being. And he's involved. And we could choose to take his um, uh, advice. And he created it all. And so therefore he knows best. And so therefore you're not doing anything strange by following his advice. Even though some of it sounds and seems a bit archaic. And very, especially to a secular boy, like, you know, wearing a garment with four corners to put strings on it. On the face of it, that's ridiculous. Everything's ridiculous in religion. Well, so is sitting on the floor and playing magnet tiles with my five-year-old. It's ridiculous, but that's how you, that's how I have a relationship with him. Because I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit and speak about theoretical physics with him. So we have these mitzvos. The mitzvos are, 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 they're toys that help us to, right? Meaning, right. So, but if you if you feel like that, and again, that's obviously uh, one angle of it. Mm-hmm. But if you see them as, is there a level of of arbitrariness to them? Um, th- that's a matter of philosophical debate. But you could argue that it's certainly the the meaning behind it is secondary to the relationship. In other words, that there is a means of connection that came top, do- top down, right? At least in, in our conception of Hashem delivering the Torah and saying, you guys want to play? Like, here's the... Here's, here's, my, t- here's my toys. Here, yeah, here's, yeah, here's the... So if, if that's your conception, and, if, and, and at that point in Jewish history, because Jewish history started before that. Of course. There was already a relationship. We had a relationship. The, the laws were like, here's a bunch of ways we could continue to further this and to... Right? And to... I. I I actually just shared this with um we had like getting to know you cuz the the guys these 18 19 year olds just I just I basically I just gave birth to like 50 children you know <laughs> when yesterday well, yesterday they came off the plane they're now 2 weeks in um isolation um cuz of corona right oh so it's all starting on zoom at the yeshiva yeah well we met them in person with like quite a bit of distance between us they went straight into the, into the hotel right so we've been kind of just getting to know each other over zoom which is crazy. And one of the things I shared with them is um, um, when I was probably eight years old, if I had to guess, somewhere around there, um, I had a neighbor, like um, I lived, let's say, over here in my house, and my neighbor had their house and their room, the window was kind of like facing over in this direction. And our neighbors, our, our windows faced each other, and we had like a rope that went from one one room to the other. Cool. Um, and um, there was a basket that we could kind of like send things back. I mean, no phones, no computers. That's so like. cool. Um, we used to, we used to okay, I mean, I, I doubt in my memory, it's probably a more significant and longer period than it actually was. You know, my parents were probably like, what are you doing? You know, like we probably had to take it down rather quickly. But um, that metaphor sits in my mind super strong as like, um, I had this neighbor, there was like distance between us and we had this rope that was connecting us. And, um, 
mitzvos, the word mitzvah, commandment. Um, again, coming from the again the, the mystical tradition, the word mitzvah, but it's really just there in the word comes from the language of rope, tzavta. So each of these are kind of like if you if you prefer instead of the the toy metaphor of being like given all these means of playing on a gap that's I mean the dis- the distance between me and my five year old is like compared to a, the creator of the universe you know it's just quite a quite a quite a bit of a difference mm-hmm. um, but another way of thinking that is like there's all these ropes and all we have you know we we squeeze the rope on the bottom wave it around a little bit and it kind of shimmies up the rope and right and that creates relationship you know not in not in a a childish way but um if you're if you're engaged in that from time to time throughout the day then you're constantly thinking about talking to um you're comfortable with that yeah with that i don't not a person but you're comfortable with that creator it's hard to call him anything or yeah but you're comfortable yeah what's also interesting is that the, a lot of the commandments are woven into our history right so which is in other words like a house, like a home you know like the the things that we have in our home the ways that i interact with my children and as they get older um when you walk into my house there's like a few pieces of broken pottery from a little excursion that i went with my daughter she's eight we went a few weeks ago we were happy to be back in israel after two years in america and we went for a little walk in the valley over there we found some old shards of pottery don't know when they're from um I don't know if we're supposed to report them to the uh, antiquities, but whatever, we brought, we brought it home. And now when we walk in the house, those little shards of pottery are a reminder of, mm. you know, of that experience. So what if, and this is really what mitzvot are in a certain way, what if, um, yes, as a mandate, yes, as an obligation, but really as an etza, what if I said to my daughter, you know what would be a good idea? You know, and, and imagine if I was going away for a while, you couldn't really... Um, reach out and touch me, right? So um, let's say I was traveling for a week. I say, well, if you feel like you miss me or you feel like um, you want to remember that, just go up and pick pick up one of those pieces of pottery and put it down. So on the one hand, that's really stupid. It doesn't do anything. On the other hand, she's now relating to me because she's remembering that experience. It's a trigger. It's a trigger. And on a certain level, the mitzvos are these different triggers. There are these different ropes that are connecting our room to, I mean, I don't know what the other side, what's going on on the other side in terms of the room. Right. Um, and I'm okay with that. You know, there's, it's okay to, to say, I don't fully know or understand. I mean, in general, that's, that's a good idea. I would never say to another person, mm. like, I totally get you, David. Like, I know you inside. And, like, I don't, you can't know another person. Um, it would be absurd to assume and insulting to assume that we could fathom and understand um, the creator. Um, and he doesn't want that, it would appear. He doesn't want us to know him because, it's un- firstly, it's, for me, it's unknowable. The relationship, I, I, I'm, I'm married to my wife, thank God, for 13 years. Do, like you just said, do I know her? Uh, I know stuff that she does right. and, uh, uh, and she loves me and I love her and we have a family, thank God, and all this stuff. How can I know her? Right. But the relationship, 
I know the relationship sure. or, or I know the experience. Sure. And, um, and the hard parts of it too. You know, the, the hard part, the challenging parts. And so therefore, yes, that I, 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 I just copy paste that. Our human experience is identical to our Hashem experience. For sure. It's identical. For sure. And, and, and that's why, it's, again, like people say, no, there's God over there and then there's our reality. But not if you see it as the things that go on here are like a, a replica. I think it might be a good word, a motif a rep of, of, of what our relationship with him is all about. Okay, there's nuances, obviously, goes without saying, but at the heart of it, he's saying, I mean, I want a relationship with you. Sure. Do you want one with me? The the (laughs) quintessential, um, I believe one of the sages referred to one of the books of of Tanakh, of the Bible, as the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, the holiest book of Tanakh, not on the level of, you know, don't get into the legalistic aspect of Bible versus, you know, uh, prophets versus the writings. But Kodesh HaKadoshim, the holiest of the holiest, is Shir Hashirim, which is a story about love between a man and a woman, between two people. Um, Called the Song of Songs, right? Song of Songs. Um, and it's a, it's a love story that is a metaphor for the relationship between creation and creator, um, all creation, like even this cup, you know, and God, there's a pining as, as you know, hard to understand as that is, doesn't, um, but it's expressing this desire to be, it's, cre- it's created, all, everything that's created desires to return to its source on a certain level. And so all of creation, certainly human beings are conscious of it because we are conscious, um, are in this relationship with the creator, but there's no mention of creator or creation in the entire book. It's just these two people who are madly in love with each other, chasing each other around. And that's, that's what it is. So the human relationship, that's the, you know, to, to be a person who, who's not in a relationship with the creator, um, is, is similar to be in a person who's not in a relationship with another person except that I would say that with the additional point that being in a relationship with another person or with other people, Mm. you know, being your friend is a model of in that same way that I don't know you, but I respect you and I love you. And I, and, and, and all these different adjectives that I could use to describe our relationship. We want to experience each other. And we have, we have laws between each other. Of course. But those are secondary to the relationship. Mm. Um, Going back to that point that I, you know, I met God before, and um, before you know, signing on to the to the actual lifestyle, right? Um, which is maybe why it it doesn't feel it feels like an expression of the relationship. There's a covenant, you know. Is there is there something also in the famous phrase of Na'asev Nishma, which which we uh, we said at uh, Mount Sinai when Hashem said, hey, want to be involved with me? And we, was, and we basically responded, which means we'll do it and then we'll basically we'll hear about it, we'll listen to it, we'll work it out, well, the nas- we'll study it. Yeah, Nasa is like, let's do this. Let's do let's, this. Let's be in a relationship. 
nishma is, what does that mean? What does that entail? Um, and in order to get to a place um, where you have an entire nation that's willing to say, we're in for this relationship, I mean, there's a pretty um, remarkable backstory to that. Mm. Um, I am, in some ways, uh, in terms of my affinity for psychology, um, a student of uh, Carl Jung. He was a bit of a mystic also, a bit mm-hmm. of a madman, for sure. Um, and that any any psychologist who's listening to this now is like, oh, this guy doesn't, he's not really into psychology because, you know, he gets a bad rap. Um, incidentally, uh, Dr. Jung said that in an interview towards the end of his life, he said that um, all of his uh, major breakthroughs and innovations in the world of psychology were um, already discovered by a rabbi named Rabbi Dov Bear of Mezrich, who was the second generation student of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidut. Um, so maybe that's also where my affinity comes from. I didn't find that out till later. Um, anyway, um, Young, one of Young's major um, positions is that psych- your psyche is not something that starts from the day you're born. You know, you carry this weight. It goes back to that conversation we were having about missing the Holocaust, you know, because mm-hmm. um, there's a biological kind of um, misora, English. Tradition. Tradition is a biological kind of inheritance that you receive from your parents, but there's also a psychology, and um, it, it's totally not biological at all. I mean, that's part of when you join Judaism, whether you feel like a, like you were saying, you know, you feel like a... Um, an outsider coming in or, um, or you're, you're literally a convert, you're not born yeah. Jewish and you, um, there is the possibility and that's part of the ritual of converting, which is not something we go and try to missionize, actively missionize or do. Mm-hmm. But when somebody does decide to join, we're like, you know, you're, you're taking on all of the psychological archetypical right. kind of like backdrop, backdrop of this whole relationship. Right. And so that's, Are you sure you want that? Right. And so, um, you know, we, that's what we're, when we said Nasiv and Ishma, in order to get to that place, we had just come out of being enslaved. But before that, even way before that, there, you know, there's a whole Jewish history of building relationships without, there were no mitzvot yet. There was no, no rules, no book, no rules, nothing, no book. all bottom up relationship. And that could only take us kind of so far, right? Because how creative to go back to that, how creative could my two-year-old or five-year-old um, be in trying to build a relationship with me? It's much easier if I come down and say, right. well, I, so. But you mean to work within a structure? It's just, yeah. again, it's, help, it's, it's extremely helpful. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it, we can't all do what Abraham did. Sure. It, you know. Can I blow your mind for a second? Please. Okay. Um. Although that's the goal. What's that? To be like to be like Abraham, to be where it's where the rules where the rules take you so far it's like music. Yeah. Right? Sure. Know the rules. Throw it all out. Yeah. It's like anything. In sports, you don't think about when you're striking a ball in baseball or cricket, or you're kicking a ball in football like these Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. In that moment of striking the ball perfectly, 
He's not thinking about how do I strike a football. It's sure. just in him. Flow. It's flow. flow. And and isn't that the whole point? You know, when you're in a relationship, you're, to, you're talking to your wife, be like, mm, let's talk about our relationship. Right. How tedious and boring is that? Right. I cut you off. Sorry. It's okay. I'm going to go with your thread here for a second. Um, the difference, though, which is profound and powerful for me, or, or at least what we're claiming, is that if um, the footballer is making these perfect strikes, like like beautiful, gorgeous, you know? I mean, who could not? You have to... Yeah, timing. Timing, precision, everything. Everything connects in harmony. And the hours of practice to be able to go beyond what a normal person thinks is within the realm of how this machine that we have here works mm. and to really fine tune it to get to that point where it's like, you know, so many thousands of hours that it almost looks like magic when the person's doing it because most people haven't fine tuned themselves like that. Right. And feels like magic if you've ever been lucky enough to be there. Right. So here's the funny part. And I suppose this will probably blow our minds also. If we, so there's all these rules, right? There's rules that are written into the game and there's these rules of like what you need to do to get to that level of perfection and precision. Um, and I suppose that's what you were trying to get to that in, if, you're, if you're in these rules that create this amazing texture of, of what it means to live as a Jewish person when you forget about the rules but you're, you're like swimming in it. Yeah. Um, the difference between the two is that when, if the soccer player for just a moment would stop and say, well, why am I doing this? Like, it's phenomenal. It feels great. It is great. It's something that deserves to be respected. Um, because there's a, meaning a person overcame the natural limitations of what it means to be a human being. But then when you take a step back and you're like, what am I doing? It's like, there's no real meaning, but it's remarkable, but that's why you, you finish the game and you have a moment of quiet and it's like you have this cup sitting on your, you know, on your mantle and you're like, yeah, but what now? Like, if you do the same thing when you're swimming in what we're swimming in, what I am so blessed to feel like I'm swimming in, mm. you take a step back and you're like, well, why? And it's like, well, I don't think it's as insignificant to say I'm in a relationship with the creator of the world. That's not like a, yeah, but like what now? It's like, that's pretty cool. It um, is, it is. You know, being in a relationship with a person, which I think is, is like we were talking before, you could stop and he's like, well, why? And it's like, well, that's pretty close to, and I think a lot of people, especially, and that's great. That's a, that's a, um, that's a good thing. Um, healthy people um, who don't have a relationship with God um, find meaning probably more than anywhere else in their life with other people. Mm. And, and that's good. Because at the end of the day, you could say, well, what's this about? Why am I investing all these rules and all this effort and time into hopefully making something worthwhile in a relationship. And you might answer by saying, well, because there's something meaningful about connecting to another person. And I think that that's real. I think that that's um, significant. 
Um, and it and it's going beyond what we can touch. It's going beyond the senses. Yeah. Which is, again, I can only speak for myself because I've only lived in me. There is a there is a reality to my life beyond my physical self. Um, I I can't I can't show you. I think I assume that you feel that because you're you look like a human being like me. So I'm assuming there's a similarity between you and me. I can't know for sure, but I'm pretty much banking on it. So I can only really talk about me. And I feel a sense of there is there is something else to my reality. I was listening to a uh, a podcast this morning on the way to work here. And uh, it was Joe Rogan speaking with... Uh, Richard Dawkins. It was recorded a while ago. Um, and what were they talking about? They were talking about the brain. They were talking about like Richard Dawkins being an atheist, um, who, by the way, I've, I've, I've got a lot of respect for his thoughts, his views. Uh, obviously, some of it I, I, I don't agree with, but in terms of a lot of it, I like listening to him. Well, what would we do without the atheists? Oh, just what would we do? We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't hone or be able to figure out what it is that... I mean, they're questions. They're amazing. Questions. Oh, they're amazing, and 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 we disagree about the the, the final conclusion. Sure. But in terms of getting there, amazing. Well, because you you become complacent otherwise with, which is why I love what I I do as a teacher. Absolutely. Because it's like you get sharpened. Never, th- never thought about that before, but now let me think about it, um, and fit it into a system and and be brave and honest about it, um. They were, they were, they were saying on that point. His point was like um, Dawkins is like. So when you die and the brain dies, that's it. Yeah. Because we are our brains. Basically, everything is going is our brain. So when the brain's dead, we're worm food, and that's it. So I'm going to say in relation to what I said before about how I feel there's something else going on, mm. and always felt that sense. It's a sense. I can't. I can't show you. But I sense it, always did, as a kid and more so even now. But when the Torah comes along and explains about this, the soul, and the neshama, correct me if I'm wrong, but it hovers around the brain and it's connected, uh, and it's connected uh, to one's thoughts and thinking and stuff like that, that makes perfect sense to me. It means that when we die, it's not over. Because, yes, it's true, the brain is the uh, physical mm-hmm. and the chemical uh, manifestation if you like yeah. of uh, of the life force it, it, it's uh, you know we're a computer we're going here we're going there we're driving a car we're like you know throwing balls or we're setting up microphones mm-hmm. but at the end of the day you can't touch the thoughts sure that doesn't it doesn't work none of that works so it's there is another dimension um and so and so again it's it's to me it's all part of this n- narrative that hints to me strongly, otherwise it wouldn't have become what I've become, mm-hmm. that not only is there something else out there, but but when I've looked into it more, obviously I arrived at the answer is Judaism and the Torah, mm-hmm. which we're not, we don't have to go into massively now. It's, a, again, probably another, you know, 50-year podcast. Sure. <laughs> but, but, but bottom line, and simply put, there's something else going on. And Torah, for me, allows access to that. And then when you bring in the history and you bring in looking at it as a relationship between you and a parent and, and then 
and all these other things like, you know, how could I have been here if it wasn't for something else out there beyond the physical and, mm-hmm. you know, and you put it all together and you're like, wow, how can I not be excited about being in this relationship with this God that I cannot see? But I feel very hard to communicate that to people who don't feel it. I see people get, they don't get, they don't get upset with me. Yeah. But there's a, there's a, well, there's a tension. communicate it. Yeah. There's a tension. I feel, I feel bad for people. Uh, King David said, um, Davina Malach said, um, because I, I know that Gadol, that Hashem is Gadol. He is great. And the way that some traditions understand that is that what he was trying to say is like, I know it, but I can't really explain it. Right. I can't explain this to you. Right. Um, and, you know, I think one of the first places I saw that was in, um, in the thinking of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. And what he writes after that is qu- quite another level of astounding. He says that sometimes um, from one day to the next, you can't really even explain it to yourself. Um, it's not just that yeah, I'm having trouble explaining it to somebody else, but you've had experiences where... Um, yeah. Can't explain you, it to yourself. Well, I'm not even talking about like mystical experiences. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm just talking about experiences where you're like, this is not just a chemical experience. Right. Thank you.